Welcome to a special edition of Catching Up With on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Genetic Cars for this week of the 87th running of Le Mans. Our absolutely awesome guest is a dear friend, that being Mr. Andy Blackmore, he of amazing race car livery designs, and also the must-have, cannot-watch-without Le Mans Spotter's Guide. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Well, we've got lots of questions that have come in on Facebook and on Twitter wanting to learn more about you, the processes, the tools that you use to create your spotter's guide, the liveries that are in the race. There are three cars competing at the 24 Hours of Le Mans this year that bear your work, whether it is original art or working with those to create uh, a proper vehicle layout call it a wrap and such to make that work come to life why don't we start there because while i do a lot of things in motor racing i really can't say that my artistic stuff is on anyone's car but you can you got three of them there you greedy sob um <laughs> tell us about the three because it's just such a fascinating thing to see your work and, and your skills represented on track cool thanks very much um, so yeah, I've been really fortunate this year to be involved in a, a few liveries on track. Uh, in the main event, I've got three cars, and then I also have one car in Ferrari Challenge, which is a Thomas Tipple, which is a Dicky Lauda tribute livery, which we actually did a couple of years ago. And then uh, Jim McGuire and Matt Bell's United Auto Sports uh, Ligier, which is in the semi-chrome aero livery. Uh, so they're support racers. But in the main event... Uh, I'm lucky enough to have three cars. So um, if I start with the cars I contributed on but didn't actually design as such. Um, So the first one uh, was Project One Porsche in GTM. Um, So um, a while back, Jorge Bergmeister reached out to New York artist uh, Richard Phillips to create an art car using Richard's uh, portraits that he's previously done. Um, so he designed the layout and basically got everything working how he wanted. And then I was commissioned to sort of bring it to life. Um, so if you can imagine, um, a 2d, you know, basically the graphic is a 2d image and then you have to wrap it onto a 3d form, which is the car that can be challenging. It's particularly challenging on a Porsche 911 because of the huge, uh, rear fender flares and also with the curvature at the front around the headlamp well i was just so going to say imagine- mate the only thing that's flat on that porsche is part of the underbody so exactly yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing that you you're trying to take a beautiful 2d piece of art and wrap it on the most yeah. 3d car in the field i i feel for so you i mean you you put together like an eight page instructional layout document for those who did the wrap in order to get it right that just blows me away yeah, so I I normally do a detailed sort of basically a wrap file at the end, and that has lots of annotation, lots of bleed. But yeah, this was on a completely another level. So I think it's a the actual wrap is about ten different pieces, and 
each one has to be put on in a certain order, um, and then we have bleed. So bleed is basically an extended piece of the artwork. So just an example, on the left-hand side uh, is one of Rich's paintings, which is a portrait, and um, that continues on the hood. But the actual um, wrap file is split on the cheek line so that you basically you lay the face on the door. You get that in exactly the right position, and then you would then lay the hair on top, which goes over the f- hood and the front fender, and then you trim that off on the cheek line so that when it's finished, it all looks like one piece. Um, so, yeah, we ended up doing a huge uh, um, uh, series of rat files, and, you know, these files are like sort of two, 300 meg each. Um, and they were from original scans of the artworks. So they're super high quality. Um so Richard obviously wanted everything to be very close to his concept because they're his artwork, they're very precious. So it was quite uh, time-consuming and difficult to lay out. So I ended up using a scale model, and I also used Project Cast to, um, to actually put some of the artwork in and make sure it looked okay in 3D. Um, if you imagine wrapping a cone in Christmas wrapping paper, um, then you can sort of imagine some of the challenges you have with wrapping a car. Uh, when a company wraps a car and uh, signal wrapping in Germany, who do a lot of Porsche uh, stuff for the factory, they uh, wrap this amazingly well. Um, you can heat the material to an extent and you can stretch it and it can shrink, but you have to be careful because um, if you've ever heated up plastic, it, it tends to sort of pucker and crease. So it's a real art um, to, to put that on. So anyway, that was the, the, the first one. Um, that was a really good, fun project, but it was uh, very time-consuming, and I actually learned a lot. It certainly pushed me out of my comfort zone massively because uh, I had to adhere to somebody else's concept. Um, and the I other thing I'd mention, Andy, is that, yeah. uh, and, it, and it's my fault for not mentioning it up front because me not brain think good, uh, yes, we're doing the, somewhat of the cardinal sin of speaking about images and visuals in radio totally. form, but yeah. uh, we'll definitely do our best when hopefully you're listening to this uh, as it's posted on Twitter and Facebook yeah. and wherever else to include the actual image references. So when Andy's talking about the project, one Porsche, you can actually see what we're talking about. So should have mentioned that up sure. front, but I didn't. And so yeah. here we go. Uh, on on that on that um, subject, if you go to my website, subtle plug, andyblantwelldesign.com, um, I've actually uh, put a sort of design review or design overview of how each of these three cars uh, came to be. So there's some images there. And there's also some images of the design process, a few sort of images from project cars and some of the early concepts. Um, so anyway, project, uh, with the Project One Porsche, um, I also got involved in doing the race suits, uh, again, using Richard's artwork. So uh, that was good fun. So that's the Project One Porsche out of the way. Um, the second car <clears throat> was for my uh, long-term client, uh, VC Competizioni. So I do a lot of sponsorship proposal work for them, also do their Alfa Romeo TCR livery, uh, which is based on Alfa's works colors um so they were um, partnered with uh jean um uh, gcas uh, uh, who has a huge classic car collection in france um and they worked with a art college in paris and they had a competition with the students to design a livery using the uh 
sort of French Ferrari blue. Um, and there had to be like an explanation and a reason for delivery and, and why they did this sort of approach. So that ended up in a vote, which was, uh, luckily, well, fortunately, I was on the judging panel. So it was uh, Giuseppe Risi and a few people from Ferrari Club France. And eventually this uh, thoroughbred livery was uh, chosen. Now, this was designed by, and uh, hopefully I don't completely ruin her name, Shoala uh, Breton and Louise Dublé. And uh, like I say, they were students of the uh, School of Art and Design in Paris, and they're like sort of 20, 21. So um, great opportunity for them. Um, so basically I had the uh, artwork and I had to adjust it and make it fit the car. A little bit like the Porsche, the Ferrari has huge rear fenders. So we actually had to skew and stretch their artwork and basically redraw it. Um, so I think we had to take into account an extra, I think it was 16 or 17 inches of material just on the rear fenders compared to the door. So you had, we had to really sort of stretch and fudge the artwork so that when it's on the car, it looks correct and everything lines up and everything's level. Um, this car was also tricky because it's a mix of vinyl and paint. So uh, my local dealer, uh, my local Ferrari dealer, Ferrari of Vancouver, were really helpful in getting loads of paint chips and stuff. So between myself in Canada, uh, Risi in the US, uh, the French, and uh, in Italy where the car was uh, prepared and wrapped, uh, we managed to pull that all together. So wow. uh, that wow. was uh, useful in the digital age. Um, so, uh, they're the two cars I, uh, basically did delivery, um, production. And then the third car, uh, which also has a throwaway of Vancouver connection is the JMW Motorsport, uh, 4A8 of, um, Waylu and Jeff Seagull, who, uh, commissioned me to work on, uh, delivery. We came up with a design. They wanted something modern and, and eye-catching, something that fans would like. This so, one's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this one. I, I ended up creating a lot of work for myself, um, but I really uh, enjoyed this one. And working with Jeff is always awesome because he's got a great eye for detail. Um, and we just sort of chucked some ideas around. Um, and then as we went along, we added some uh, Easter eggs into the design. So there's, I think, 20 different illustrations or, or graphics within the camo, uh, which fans can sort of have a look for. Um, there's actually a uh, like a spotter's guide of these illustrations on uh, on social media, so you can have a look. Um, so they vary. That we got references from JMW and their success. Uh, various Ferrari images, including some illustrations of Enzo Ferrari and uh, the 488 logo. We have uh, some Le Mans illustrations, such as the main straight with a Michelin timing stand. We have the uh, um, the Ferris wheel. Uh, we have some of the iconic road signs. And then we have a couple of um, references for Jeff and his GPX simulation companies. They've got, the, got that logo in. And then Wei uh, actually lives in Vancouver, same as me. So um, uh, he likes pandas and has panda references everywhere. So we've got a panda graphic on the car. We have a Canadian maple leaf, go Raptors. And um, we also have an um, uh, image of the um, 
uh, Vancouver's Canada Place, which is basically a building with cells uh, into the roof, which is probably one of the most iconic buildings in Vancouver. So, uh, And then finally, uh, Wei asked if we could include a Chinese dragon. So this isn't actually all of my art either, because I managed to uh, get my uh, little girl, um, Kira, to... Uh, illustrate or to draw a Chinese dragon. She loves drawing and art, no idea where she gets that from. And um, she draws dragons and dinos all day. So uh, Wei and Jeff were happy to agree to that. So I'm very thankful for them for that because I now have a very excited 10-year-old girl that wants to watch them all. So, um, yeah, so that, that, you know, that was really cool and a proud dad moment. So, uh um, so that was a really fun project. We also did the race suits, which have a similar camo graphic. Um, so, yeah. It, Sounds like Andy and, Andy and Kara Blackmore Design are uh, yeah. it's really taken off. I love yeah. the sound of that. Yeah. Was it uh, Andy Blackmore Design and Daughter instead of us? <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Well, your spotter guide, which is just, again, yeah. it, it is... Just like some things are must-see and must-listen, this is a must-have with uh, 62 cars entered for the race, 61 remain after uh, Tracy Crone croned his his Porsche, unfortunately. Nonetheless, we have many cars, many names, many nationalities, many driver ratings, every single thing you would need to understand what you're looking at for the entirety of the event is contained within your spotter guides. This is something that... Now, I believe it's year two of our friends at WeatherTech supporting is, that yeah. and sponsoring that, which is amazing. Yeah, Tell folks where they can download that. Again, we will obviously provide links to all that. So while you're listening, hopefully sure. you already have it in front of you. But nonetheless, where can folks find that and all the other spotter guides you do in IMSA and other series too? Um, so I have an additional website to andyblackmoredesign.com and that's spotterguys.com. Uh, that's plural because we have more than one spot guide. Um, so if you go to spotterguides.com on the homepage, there's, um, like thumbnails of each of the spotter guys. So the very first one is the WeatherTech Le Mans spot guide for this year. Um, that was updated last night with the, uh, final grid positions, including the, um, the graph, um, uh, losing their poll. Um, so that guide is now final. So um, that won't be updated now. So you can print your guides off. We got a small increase in uh, previous years already, which is really cool because, um, you know, there are other guides available. Um, but I like to think mine is uh, the most up to date. And I make sure that we always update everything. In the past, we've had updated drivers. Uh, even on race day. So um, unfortunately, as you say, number 99, the crown car, uh, has been withdrawn, so that's grayed out. So even that's included. Um, so I also do uh, all the uh, guides for IMSA and their support races. For uh, So some of those are updated for every event, and some are like the Portion GT3 Cup US and Canada guides. They're season-long. Um, I do the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Championship for North America, uh, and um, there might be a couple of other guides coming out next year, already confirmed. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun process sometimes, but prior to Le Mans and prior to the first race of IMSA, it's a bit crazy, and um, unfortunately sleep takes a backseat. Well, last year we did a podcast about you, your origins as a human, your design and art origins 
also went pretty deep on the creative process behind the spotter guide. So we won't yeah. uh, redo that conversation here. That uh, interview is available at marshallpruittpodcast.com. Use a little search function in the top right and just type in Blackmorn. We might have a couple of podcasts we've done. I always forget how many we get done. But regardless, we do have a lot of folks that sent in questions. We have about a half hour sure. left. So, Andy, why don't we be smart monkeys and get into the questions that have come in both on Facebook and Twitter, and then we will let this little podcast fly. We're going to go to our friend Steve Smith, who starts us off with maybe a dumb question, but what do you use to create your work, Andy? Photoshop, Illustrator, and how did you get started in creating liveries? And I know the answer to the very first question is Microsoft Paint. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And Etch-a-Sketch. So I got started off... Well, when I was a kid, I always liked cars, uh, you know, like most people listening to the podcast. So um, even at three or four, I've got photos somewhere of my bedroom filled with posters of terrible cars like Austin Allegra's and Morris Marina's because as you might be able to tell from my monotone Bristolian British accent, uh, I am originally from the UK. Um, later in life, I had cooler stuff. I remember having Lancia Strauss's and Ferraris and uh, an Alpine uh, Renault Le Mans car, etc. So uh, I, I did get a handle on that pretty quickly. Um, so I started drawing, and I suppose a little bit like my daughter, I just was drawing all the time, 9, 10, 11, 12. Won a couple of um, local newspaper competitions, then um, did a competition in a Renault owner's magazine. Uh, my dad owned a couple of Renaults won a couple of those and then was politely asked not to um not to enter for a couple of days uh, a couple of issues so i'd give uh, other people a chance and that just sort of got me the bug really and then i ended up doing a degree in graphics and then a degree in vehicle styling at coventry university fast forward a little bit and then one of my first jobs were was fortunately at mclaren and that's when i started using a program called adobe illustrator which is a vector art program so vector art basically everything is a separate object and it's scalable to infinity so that's how companies uh, create all their logos that's how rap companies make their wraps and that's how uh, clothing companies do all their embroidery. So Adobe Illustrator is the key software to use. Um, you can use Photoshop as well, um, but I've been using Adobe Illustrator since version 2 in 1994. So um, I use that pretty much all the time. Um, it's an awesome program. It's a bit tricky, um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's very useful. And, and you know, uh, I have that with a huge 27-inch uh, Wacom tablet, which is also, it's called a Cintiq, so that has a screen built into it. So you basically, you draw onto the screen. Let's go to Matthew Guy Richard, who says, how does it work? Cool. Do you copy photos or do the team send you schemes for the spotter guides? And how does it work when a team drops a, quote, livery bomb on you like Rebellion did, or do they tip you off ahead of time? So a little bit of uh, behind the scenes on spotter guide creation. Yeah, so on the Spark Guide, uh, I reach out to the teams, uh, or in the case of IMSA, IMSA do, and, and similar with Lamborghini, and then I follow up. Uh, some teams will send photos, some teams will send the actual artwork, some teams will send the logos. So regardless, I redraw the cars. Uh, I have a huge library of all the cars drawn up from my livery work as well as Spark Guide. So I have most cars drawn up. 
Um, and then if you can imagine like a layered art file, I have the line work for the cars and then I put the graphics and the logos underneath that. So, uh, you know, I basically use a car template. Um, so with IMSA, I literally have every single team assist me. Uh, similar thing with uh, Lamborghini, similar thing with Mazda with the MX-5 Global Cup, which is another guide I actually do. Um, and then for Le Mans, it's a little bit harder because I just do it once a year. So, you know, I'm not quite so visible to the teams. And you got to you, you got to appreciate, you know, I'm a very, very uh, um, uh, long, long way down the food chain for Le Mans teams when they're trying to get ready for the big race. So some teams will send me artwork and some teams will send me photos. And then there's a few teams which for some reason tend to be Italian and French. Uh, they sometimes don't send anything. And then I rely on, obviously, photography, and I rely on people like uh, Daily Sports Cars, Peter May and David Lord, who were sending me images of cars as they were coming off the trucks for uh, scrutineering. So that's actually how the Rebellion came about. Um, both the Rebellion and Dragon Speed, I... I knew these liveries were happening dragon speed are an awesome partner always send me the artwork so there was no problem there uh, rebellion i knew the art was uh, changing i had some photos of the uh, delivery beforehand unfortunately not quite the views i needed so uh, as i mentioned dsc's uh, uh, peter may and david lord got some images as they were taken off the transporters and i was busy drawing them up um before they actually went into tech so uh you know i i have a good team of um photographers and also proofreaders that help me out with the guides let's go to where should we go next where should we go next we're gonna go to david rayley who says in general how long does a livery take to go from a concept to a finished design and to that i have a feeling i know what your immediate response is going to be before answering the question <laughs> how long is a piece of string absolutely um, yes so there's two parts of the process one i touched on with the previous question in that i have to sometimes draw the car out from scratch well not from scratch but from reference um so i have obviously all the IMSA cars drawn up, the WEC chassis drawn up, and I have a lot of other stuff. Um, so I have to make sure I get accurate to scale reference. So that could be CAD plots, that could be line drawings from the manufacturers, and the manufacturers are really helpful, to be honest. So I, I very rarely have to draw anything by eye. Um, but I always try to draw everything again, so everything looks consistent no matter what I do and where it goes. Uh, so, for example, I'm doing a radical livery next week, and I don't have the uh, line art for that yet. So I need to reach out to the manufacturer, see if they've got elevation views. So that can take anywhere between two and literally eight hours to draw up, depending on car and series. Uh, so once that's done, that's put away for future projects anyway. And then I create the livery. So keeping it really simple, it's a three-stage process. I create some initial concepts, which tend to be an eclectic mix. Uh, we then narrow down, and it's a very collaborative process. We narrow down on a couple of uh, concepts, develop those for round two. They go back for review. We narrow down to, let's say, one design, and then we'll create a couple of variants, maybe different colorways, different color accents, different branding positions for the final design. 
Once that's done, that gets approved. I then produce the wrap file, which I mentioned earlier, and that has uh, basically the final art that uh, the wrap company will use, has annotation, has bleed, and etc. So in terms of timing, that can be anywhere between sort of four or five hours for the whole lot. If you're doing something like a simple golf stripe to literally 50 or 60 hours, if you're doing something really complicated like Richard Phillips' uh, art car uh, or some of the sort of the drift liveries. So it really varies quite a lot. Um, most teams will have all their sponsor logos in Vector occasionally they don't and when you have to draw that up then you can easily add one or two hours per logo so um yeah it varies massively let's go to jacob bame who asks first of all you left or right-handed i'm right-handed yeah you poor bastard uh and then second he (laughs) asks what is your main source of the ideas for a livery do you rely much on the customer's wishes or do you actively propose designs to customers to see what they like yeah, so some people seem to have a view that motor racing is some sort of sport, whereas in reality it's a business. So um, the spot, most of the time sponsors call the shots in terms of what they want, in terms of branding, marketing. That doesn't necessarily mean a huge logo on the door. I've had one client who says, I just want a small logo on, on, on the rear wing end plate. Um, so generally it's driven initially by the sponsor. Sometimes they have a very detailed brief. Uh, sometimes, and I've had briefs like this, which are like, I like black cars or I like blue cars. <laughs> and, that, and that is it. And literally I have had that. Uh, I actually had one design once, which I couldn't take because I was too busy and it was actually done in Crayola crayons. And it was like, I want something like this. And I couldn't, yeah, yeah at that point I was, backed up so i couldn't take it um so it varies um occasionally like uh like jeff and ways commission with the jmw ferrari it's a very open brief and it's like we want something modern contemporary something fan friendly and then and then it's more of a blank canvas and that can be fun and that can actually be more challenging than having a tie brief so it varies let's go to as we get about halfway through here on Facebook, sure. let's go to Tim Same, who says, are there graphic design influences from outside of motor racing that you tend to look at, enjoy, might influence your work that we would be surprised to hear about? Um, it's really dependent on the project. Um, obviously, with the JMW car that I've referenced before, um, we looked at digital camo, we looked at military camo, and then we uh, looked at dazzle camo, which is where huge graphic geometric shapes were put on the on ships uh, decades ago so that uh, when they were passing in the night, it was very hard to see whether they are going left or right. Um, and also with the JMW car, it sort of referenced the sort of test car, test road cars you see, um, testing and the Nürburgring and stuff like that. I keep a very close eye on design and have like creative review magazine and stuff like that. Um, typography, you know, a lot of corporate identity drive stuff. Um, so it is varied and, you know, even just watching stuff on TV and adverts. So it, it varies, but yeah, most of it is sort of, you know, fairly designery, um, locations and sort of trend hunt insights and stuff like that. 
I believe designery is a technical term. I'm going to have to look it, that one up. Yeah, it's a, it's a technical term that's um, from Bristol. So Bristol has its own little English <laughs> language. Um, so we have a completely different set of words. So, uh, uh, for example, uh, we have a, a term called Gert Lush. And Gert Lush is purely Bristolian and West Country, and that just means awesome or excellent. Um, and it was, uh, I think I was about 25 before I realized that this particular word, scrage, wasn't a word. So in Bristol, <laughs> if you scratch your leg or, or I suppose your car, you say, oh, I've scraged my leg. And I was saying this to my wife one day and she said, what? And it transpired when I looked it up that scrage was just a word that just we use in Bristol. So, yeah, we have our own language. English within English. That, that's a beautiful oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. Let's go to Justin Ford, who says, what's the most difficult feature on a car to work around from a design standpoint? Um, generally, it's things like air intakes and uh, fender details, but it's on a car-by-car basis. So as I mentioned, the, the wide rear fenders can, can be quite tricky. Um, something like a Porsche 911 uh, with quite a few of their variants, they have a huge air intake in front of the rear wheel. Uh, the Ferrari 488 has an air intake in a similar place, but then it has a huge scallop, so a concave surface uh, around the door, and that really prohibits any branding in that area because the branding gets distorted. Um, things like the Lamborghini Huracan um, has lots of air intakes on the front hood, and they also have a serious branding on there, so there's very little space there. So generally it's that sort of thing, air intakes. Um, you know, single-seaters, you have to be wary of putting branding um, sort of in front of the front side pod because the wheels and the tires get in the way. And you got to remember most uh, photography and camera and TV angles are the front three-quarter. So just because you see a little logo on a front-wing end plate of a race car, that doesn't mean that that sponsor is really small compared to a huge logo on the rear bumper because it's the front three-quarter you get all the views. So um, you have to take that into consideration as well. Brett Ross asks, do you enjoy doing the car liveries or the spotter guides more? And is one more difficult than the other? Brett also adds, your Reese Ferrari work looks great. Cool. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, as I mentioned, it wasn't entirely my uh, my design. So, uh, But, yeah, I'm pleased to have that one came out. Um, I swear, I, I, I tend to go back and forth on this. I find the spotter guides actually strangely and probably sadly therapeutic in the it's a bit of a production line and I'm basically illustrating things that exist. So um, it's a little bit easier in some ways, but um, the sheer number of cars to do in a short period of time, particularly for Le Mans and IMSA, can offset that. Um, liveries, I really enjoy doing, but you can get quite a creative uh, mental block sometimes when you're trying to come up with ideas. Um, so there's, you know, there's good and bad times for both, but I appreciate that I'm very fortunate and very lucky uh, to do what I do. And, um, you know, that's in part thanks to the team, sponsors, people who download the spa guides, guys like yourself who, continually promote my work um so i can't complain i probably prefer the liveries more than the spot guides but um yeah there's two uh, good things well i'm gonna 
throw you the penultimate question on Facebook and actually save the last as our closing question, knowing that you have some from Twitter to bring. Alex Eichmiller asks, how often do you disagree with what is being requested and how often do you handle disagreements with your livery design clients? And that's a great point, though, because you are the artist, you are the person with all sorts of creative uh, juices and whatnot. But ultimately, if someone comes to you and says, I want this, make it so, uh, you are maybe less of artiste and more of straight service provider. Yeah, I think when I was starting out and had less uh, experience and I suppose examples, this was more of an issue. Um, But now, I suppose over the years, then I get some clients that come to me because they don't sort of know what they want. Um, So uh, then I actually ask them, what don't you like? Because to find out what a client doesn't like is actually more helpful than what they do like. Um, We... uh, don't tend to have too many disagreements to be honest because I try and do this as a very collaborative process because over time I I find that's beneficial to the design Um, when a sponsor uh, has a logo that they won't change which is very common you know at the end of the day they often spend millions on their corporate identity then that can be a little bit tricky if let's say they have a red logo they want on a blue car you know and you've got to choose your hues carefully um but i try and uh work i try and approach it more as a challenge rather than a hindrance and i think that mindset has really helped over the last few years and i don't think we've really had too many huge disagreements i had there was one sticking point last year with a livery uh and I think, yeah, in the end, we actually revisited the design because I was like, this isn't working like this and this. Can we change? It was a stroke and an outline on a logo, and they were like, no, can't be changed. Just like, okay, I'd like to revisit this graphic just on the door, and then we worked at it around there. So I try and see it more of a a challenge to um, not necessarily overcome but to develop. Why don't we switch over to Twitter, my friend? And why don't you grab a couple for us there, knowing that we are running towards the end of the time that we have available for this episode. Uh, So on Twitter, writer and lover, who obviously is a big fan of your podcast, um, how and why did it get started with the spot guides? Well, I sort of touched on some of that with how I started things uh, with Steve Smith's question. But um, the actual spot guide started around 2006 when I did some work for Sayat Sport UK and also got the commission to do the grid illustrations for uh, uh, British TV, Channel ITV, and their British Touring Card coverage. So I started doing basic spotter guides from there, and then that grew. Uh, I was always been a fan of Le Mans, so uh, I did that the following year, and then we moved to Canada at that point, so I started doing the LMS. The LMS picked that up uh, as an official product literally the next year, so I've been doing the official IMSA spotter guides for... Yeah, it must be 11 or 12 years now. Um, and that's sort of how that grew. And um, a lot of teams have um, seen that it's a very beneficial product for them because it's a way of getting their partners and their sponsors physically in the hands uh, of, you know, diehard motor racing fans and the alleged and the alleged casual viewer. Um, so a lot of teams are very helpful. I've got some work through the spa guides as well. So um 
it's actually been quite a useful networking tool as well, if I'm being honest. Um, for many years, it was not a viable thing. Now um, that I do my, I have my own full-time design company, I have to be very careful and make sure it's semi-viable with partnerships because at the end of the day, it, otherwise it's going to eat into my day job that then, you know, <laughs> pays for the roof above the head, above our heads. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's how it sort of started, small acorns, and now it's quite a big thing. Similar question from three different people, Ryan Terpstra and Anthony Grash on Twitter, and also I noticed William uh, Mazen on Facebook. So favorite original design. Um, so that tends to change a lot, you know. Um I think one of my favorites is probably a Team Need for Speed livery I did years ago, which ran at Daytona, uh, ran in Dubai and the Nurburgring. And that we needed to marry the video game at the time, Need for Speed Shift, with the race car. So we ended up taking the poly mesh from the uh, basically the 3D model of the car in game and we put it on the car. And then we used some reflective vinyl, uh, which took like four days for the guys to put on because it was that time consuming, uh, onto the car. And then when it under when it went under the floodlights uh, around Dubai and the Nurburgring, and people took photos with flash, it lit up. So that was that was a cool one. Um, my P1 Mercedes, which had the Chupacabra, you know, I'm really fond of that. Um, I did a few McLaren liveries uh, back in the day because that's where I sort of started out. Um, probably the Lark McLaren is up there as well. Um, that's gonna so, that's yeah, gonna I be held up to. as one of the the absolute Blackmore classics. I just hope <laughs> you know that that's gonna be hard to beat. That 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 ended up. You know, you see on Twitter sometimes the the people post these things like like the file names final underscore final underscore final version seven version whatever. Well, that was one of those. I think I had. I think we ended up with like twenty one different final versions, and then we did a photo shoot because it was very tricky because it's a fluorescent pink. It doesn't come out pink in a lot of photos. It's fluorescent pink, and the reason we did that is quite a few Super GT races are overcast, so we wanted something to pop. Larka Cigarette Company, owned by Philip Moes, who also do Marlboro. Well, their cigarettes in Japan are red and white. We can't have a red and white McLaren uh, back in the day not advertising Marlboro. So we had to introduce some different colors. So that's how the Rocket Pink came out. So we had all these different variants and updates, and then we did a photo shoot, and we then ended up changing a few things after that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a cool project a um, long time ago. And then favorite livery done by someone else. So livery is a bit of a fashion. You know, they had a lot of very busy liveries in recent years uh, where you basically treat the whole car as a canvas, whereas traditionally um, a clean livery will use the lines of the car. If you think about the McLaren F1 and a lot of liveries, they use the, the distinctive angled lines on the side. Um that's more of a classical design. So I, I generally prefer the classical designs, but there's exceptions. Uh, one of my favorites is the Jeff Koons BMW M, uh, M3 from 2010, Lamar. I really like that. Uh, and then a lot of older stuff. So the BASF Sauber uh, and the BMW M1, I love that livery. And I've tried to get something like that on a few cars now, but in, sponsors never quite bite with that. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also a huge challenge to wrap, so it scares 
Brad companies off and race teams. Um, Red Bull, I, I've always liked what Red Bull do. Um, the Parmalat Brabham, um, particularly when they swapped the colours in 83 or 84 around. So that was done by Peter Stevens, who um, uh, has done a lot of uh, iconic liveries. Uh, the Canon Porsche 956 or 962, that was another one of his. Um, Seven Up Jordan, you know, so there's a lot of older liveries that I really love. Um, but it, it tends to, you know, change. You know, you always got to have a, a open eyes. Um, more modern stuff, I do like a lot of Matt Reeves stuff. Matt does a lot of stuff with Aston Martin teams and Lamborghini teams. Uh, a lot of good stuff in Supercar V8. I often have a look for inspiration there because they have a lot of very strong liveries. So, uh, yeah. Um, on to last couple of questions. Um, <clears throat> So, Kevin Payne, when did you produce the first guide? I have some data, 2011. Uh, what has changed in both the cooperation and production technology? Um, so, as I mentioned, they started around 2006, 2007. I think my first Le Mans guide was 2008. Um, in terms of cooperation, I I think because I do it every year and the detail, I get the teams helping a lot now uh, and teams will work with me sometimes on embargoed stuff. Uh, production technology, I suppose the biggest thing is I just put a lot more detail now. If you look at the 2005, 06 ones, it literally is basic line art and just the main logo and the number and the basic coloration. Whereas now I have all shading and I have, do all the graduations and stuff i have to be careful because obviously if i have to do 120 cars which i have to do for imsa for daytona then uh, i have to pick my battles because of time um yeah so uh, i think that that uh is basically all the questions on twitter well let's close cool. with this my friend this is the one that i enjoy <clears throat> the most of all the questions we got at least for ones to close Jonathan Wesley asks, does Andy still get a kick from seeing his designs on track or is it more an attitude of all in a day is work now? He says he uh, won a golf livery design competition in 2013, saw yes. his design lapping at Le Mans, the number 97 Aston, and the thrill of seeing it, you know, was just amazing. So curious as someone who has had dozens upon dozens of race cars lapping circuits with your work born on them does that ever fade does the excitement ever fade um I, maybe it fades a little bit just because you're so busy and you're doing so many liveries but i really appreciate the opportunities that i get um so i get very i, I get very excited I'm very like, yeah i'm very excited for for le mans this weekend and obviously with him so with all the cars i have there i think at day 10 i think i had 14 or 15 cars across the different series so i know i'm very lucky very fortunate and i'm um, i luck thankfully been able to produce a career out of it so uh, i'm always excited um particularly with some of the more clever liveries or, or liveries that move things on. So the JMW car, the P1, Tuba Cabra, Mercedes. Um, I did a um, Star Wars influence livery for uh, a uh, IMSA PC car this year, and that came out well. So, yeah, I, I'm always excited. You know, probably the most uh, exciting thing about Le Mans is the, the, this little Chinese dragon that my dog drew, drew up for uh, the JMW car. So that's like the car like four times 
So uh, I showed her some stuff from French TV uh, during screwing here, and she's sort of jumping up for joy and excitement at like sort of six thirty a.m. in the morning. So stuff like that makes your day. So um, yeah, I I never get bored of it. I get excited, and I'm very uh, grateful and thankful. Well, speaking of grateful and thankful, I found out that there is another piece of Andy Blackmore's work that has made it onto the Lamar grid this year uh, on, I believe, 15 now, 15 of the 61 cars. Let's just call it 25% of the grid will yeah. carry something that you uh, were asked to create. Can you tell us about it? Because I don't want to tear up and start crying talking about it myself. Um, well, I, I, I had the idea of doing a decal for you and your wife, Shabal, for, uh, for your battle that you're, you're going through at the moment with the dreaded sea. Um, you've done a lot of stuff for the community, um, from the likes of drivers, uh, both in terms of memorial pieces, but also to call out people's successes. Um, so, you know, you've been involved in stuff with Justin and, uh, and another stuff, Dan Gurney stuff. Uh, you've also helped out Robin Miller and stuff. So, um, you know, you're the go-to person in the paddock for things like that anyway. Um, so it was only natural that, you know, in your time of need, then, uh, somebody had to spread some awareness and, um, you know, if that helps, particularly the financial plight, but also just the general awareness of cancer and the battles you and your wife are going through, then, um, then that makes it a better thing. So, uh, so I reached out to a few people like a racer magazine and, uh, uh, Toronto motor sports, see if they were, you know, interested in sort of coming aboard. So, uh, yeah, we've created a, uh, a little graphic. And, um, if, if people haven't seen it yet, cause radio is a great visual thing. Um, it's basically a pair of dog tags because, uh, Chabrol is ex us Marine. So we based it on that. Uh, and uh, we got some stickers made courtesy of Ryan Smith and Corvette Racing at Le Mans this week, so they've managed to get on quite a few cars and some helmets as well. I know uh, Sebastian Bourdais is uh, wearing it on his helmet and um, just helps to spread awareness and, you know, it's something you would have done for somebody, so that's why uh, I sort of stepped up and thought, well, you know, time to do something for you. You are... uh... Amazing, Andy Blackmore. I'm so thankful to have had you as a friend for many years and sitting here talking about your work and your stuff. That's just uh, that's just the easy part. So thank you again for that. And also thank you on behalf of the sports car racing fans of the world who look to you for your spotter guides, for uh, helping us to understand what the heck we're looking at, and also for just a lot of the really cool designs you've come up with over the years that have pleased our eyes and made things just even more fun. So thanks for making some time here, mate. And who knows what we're going to be speaking about next, but I do know that there's a a project you want to get started. We're not going to put that into the public space yet, but you have an ambitious project you want to get started on here soon. So we can speak about that hopefully in the coming months or year or who knows when. Yeah. Yeah, it should be a, a cool project, which hopefully fans will like. So, uh, yeah. So, no, uh, I, you know, thanks to you. You're, you're an awesome mate. So, uh, thanks for all your support and everything. And, you know, uh, you know the sports car community and uh, basically the racing world is uh, a pretty cool damn place to be in. So, uh, thanks to people like you and Graham and others that uh, help bring it all together. 